Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the General Motors Company first quarter 2017 earnings conference call. During the opening remarks, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. After the opening remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded Friday, April 28, 2017. I would now like to turn the conference over to Randy Ericks, Vice President of Corporate Communications and Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Operator. Good morning, and thank you for joining us as we review GM's financial results for the first quarter of 2017. Our press release was issued this morning, and the conference call materials are available on the GM Investor Relations website. We are also broadcasting this call via webcast. Included in the chart set materials published this morning, we've got the key takeaways from each chart in the notes pages in order to provide color on the results. This morning, Mary Barra, General Motors Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, will provide some brief opening remarks, followed by Chuck Stevens, GM's Executive VP and CFO and then we will open the line for questions from the analyst community. Before we begin, I would like to direct your attention to the legend regarding forward-looking statements on the first page of the chart set. The content of our call will be governed by this language. In the room today, we also have Tom Timko, Vice President, Controller, and Chief Accounting Officer, to assist in answering your questions. Now, I will turn the call over to Mary Barr. Thanks, Randy, and good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. GM delivered a very strong quarter that set several Q1 records, including net revenue, EBIT-adjusted, EBIT-adjusted margin, and EPS-diluted-adjusted. Year-over-year results include net revenue of $41.2 billion, up from $37.3 billion, net income of $2.6 billion, up 34% from $2 billion, EBIT-adjusted of $3.4 billion, up from $2.7 billion, EBIT-adjusted margin of 8.2%, up from 7.1%. EPS-diluted-adjusted of $1.70, up from $1.26. And EBIT-adjusted of $3.4 billion in North America, and an EBIT-adjusted margin of 11.7%. Both of those are Q1 records. Automotive-adjusted free cash flow of negative $600 million is an increase of $800 million, and our ROIC adjusted was 29.7 on a trailing four-quarter basis, reflecting the positive impact of our disciplined capital allocation framework. And we returned about $600 million in dividends to shareholders in the quarter. Our strong core business continues to drive our earnings growth. The strategic investments we have made in brands and in our operations are delivering outstanding new products with higher quality, stronger ATPs, and positive third-party recognition, and they were produced with much greater efficiency. In addition, we continue to generate outstanding EPS performance by focusing on key markets with leading franchises, relentlessly pursuing efficiencies across the enterprise, and allocating capital to maximize returns and mitigate risk. This means taking action in difficult markets to either restructure or exit the business. As you know, last month we announced the sale of our Opal and Vauxhall brands and GM's financial European operations to PSA Group for about $2.2 billion. This transaction is a win for the stakeholders of General Motors, Opal Vauxhall, 
and PSA group because it will enable each company to capitalize on its respective strategic priorities. For GM, the sale is another step in our ongoing work to transform the company by strengthening our core business, investing resources in higher return opportunities, including the future of personal mobility, and returning significant capital to our shareholders. We expect the transaction to close later this year and immediately improve our EBIT-adjusted and EBIT-adjusted margin and adjusted automotive free cash flow, as well as de-risk our balance sheet. We can lower the capital balance requirement under our capital allocation framework by about $2 billion and use it to accelerate share repurchases subject to market conditions. The sale will also allow GM to participate in the future success of PSA through warrants to purchase PSA shares and to collaborate with PSA in future technology development and deployment. Through these actions, we are establishing GM as a more focused company and aligning our business for strong, sustained performance and growth. If I turn and look at GM&A and GM China, they really drove our Q1 results. So let's take a look. In the U.S., we have been introducing new and refreshed crossovers across our brands, and we posted our best Q1 retail sales since 2008. Retail market share was up 0.3 percentage points to an estimated 16.9%. Chevrolet had its best first quarter since 2007, with year-over-year sales up nearly 2%. Buick and GMC retail uh, sales each were up nearly 4%, with their best first quarter in 13 years. GMC sold its millionth top-of-the-line Denali model, which has contributed significantly to the brand's strong ATPs. Buick once again made Consumer Reports list of top recommended brands. Crossover sales rose a combined 21% and truck deliveries were up a half a percent. Average transaction prices were over $34,000 and were in line with last year and exceeded the industry by about $3,000. Now let's turn to China. I was just there last week for the Shanghai Auto Show and we actually had our GM board meeting there as well. We were there in participating in the launch of new models for the Buick and Baojun brands. In the quarter, GM China maintained strong equity income and margins despite pricing pressures and a 5% sales decline in the quarter, partially due to an increased purchase tax. Record March uh, retail sales by GM and its joint ventures were up 16% year-over-year and helped temper the slow start to the year. GM China launched four models in the quarter, the Chevrolet Cruze Hatchback, the Chevrolet Camaro, the Baojun 510 SUV, and a new variant of the Buick GL8 MPV. Baojun and Cadillac achieved Q1 records with deliveries up 25% and 90% year-over-year, respectively. Half of the 18 new and refreshed models we introduced in China this year will be in the higher-margin SUV, MPV, and luxury segments. GM continues to expand its electrification portfolio in China with plans to introduce more than 10 new energy vehicles between 2016 and 2020, including hybrid electric vehicles, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, and battery electric vehicles. GM in China launched the Cadillac CT6 PHEV late last year and last week launched the Buick Valite 5 extended range EV. In addition, Buick will introduce at least one all-new locally produced battery electric vehicle model before the end of the decade. 
In South America, we expect significant year-over-year improvement in 2017, despite initial industry weakness. Chevrolet continued its 16 years of leadership in the region with sales growth of nearly 11%, outpacing the industry, and market share of 15.7%. Losses were unchanged year-over-year, and we remain confident that we are well-positioned for growth when the market fully recovers. In Brazil, Chevrolet has maintained its market share lead for 18 consecutive months. In our ongoing work to lead in the future of personal mobility, we are making progress in autonomous vehicles, electrification, and connectivity. We just announced we will invest $14 million in a new research and development uh, facility in San Francisco, where cruise automation will expand development of self-driving vehicle technologies. Cruise will hire more than 1,100 employees during the next five years and link them with our global engineering talent across the globe. We are running our autonomous vehicle program like a startup to give us the speed that we need to stay focused at the forefront of these technologies and the market applications. As autonomous car technology matures, our our talent needs will increase, and Cruise's presence in the Bay Area gives us access to the world-class talent pool. These are men and women who want to be part of a fast-moving technology company that can also manufacture autonomous vehicles in scale. This month, we announced that SuperCruise, this is the industry's first true hands-free highway driving technology. It will be available later this year on the 2018 Cadillac CT6 sedan. SuperCruise is the first assisted driving technology that will use precision LiDAR map data in addition to real-time cameras, sensors, and GPS. When engaged, SuperCruise accelerates, brakes, steers, and keeps the car centered in the lane, even in stop-and-go traffic. And a camera-based driver attention system exclusive to Cadillac ensures drivers keep their eyes on the road. SuperCruise is a very promising technology that lays the groundwork for a safer future. On electrification, we are maintaining our industry lead in reducing battery cell costs, key to bringing affordable electric vehicles like the Chevrolet Bolt EV to market. We are ahead of the impressive battery cost uh, cell projection cost we established two years ago, and our internal focus is to make GM the first maker of profitable, highly desirable, range-leading, and obtainable electric transportation. Advancing our lead in vehicle connectivity in March, we became the first mass market automaker to offer an unlimited data plan. Since then, we have sold more than 100,000 unlimited data plans across our four U.S. brands. GM has more than 5 million OnStar 4G LTE connected vehicles on the road today, more than any other automaker. Now, if we look at the calendar year 17, given the used car pricing, a softer-than-expected industry in South America, a more challenging pricing environment in the U.S. and China, and more pressure on commodity costs, there is absolutely no question the global environment is feeling tougher. Having said that, this management team is focused on taking actions necessary to deliver the commitments we made in January, including EPS diluted adjusted of 6 to 650 and EBIT adjusted and EBIT adjusted margins greater than or equal to 2016. Our pipeline and mix of new products are strong. In the U.S., 10 all-new or recently redesigned crossovers are expected to drive sales and market share higher this year. At the same time, we continue to adjust passenger car output to meet consumer demand. 
will realize full-year sales of popular crossovers like the Cadillac XT5, the GMC Acadia, the Chevrolet Bolt CB, the Buick Envision, and a refreshed Buick Encore launched in 2016. They'll be joined this year by the next-gen Chevrolet Equinox and Traverse and the GMC Terrain, Buick Enclave, and the all-new Regal Tour X crossover wagon. Our intense focus on cost efficiency continues. In January, we increased our savings target to at least $6.5 billion through 2018, which we expect will more than offset incremental investments in engineering, brand building, and technology. And we are always seeking additional opportunities to streamline the business and identify further savings. Our solid quarter follows three years of record-setting performance and a track record of taking bold and decisive actions to execute our strategic plan, put the customers at the center of everything we do, and deliver shareholder value. And with that, I'll turn it over to Chuck. Thanks, Mary. As we expected, we had a very strong start to the year, generating first quarter records for revenue, EBIT-adjusted, EBIT-adjusted margin, and EPS-diluted-adjusted. In North America, we once again had a record first quarter for revenue, EBIT-adjusted, and EBIT-adjusted margins. Revenue increased 11% to $29.3 billion, up from $26.5 billion for the first quarter of 2016. EBIT-adjusted of $3.4 billion was up over $1.1 billion versus the first quarter of 2016, which included $200 million in restructuring expense. EBIT-adjusted margin was 11.7% for the quarter, up three percentage points year-over-year through improved pricing and reduced costs. The first quarter was driven by strong carryover pricing, primarily on our pickup trucks, as well as the aforementioned cost performance. While our majors were not a significant source of EBIT improvement in Q1, as the majority of the launches last year were in challenging car segments, we see our crossover launches driving favorable price performance throughout the balance of the year. As we have said, our crossover launches are significant opportunities for the company. Our lineup will go from arguably the oldest to the newest portfolio in the industry as we launch the Chevy Equinox and Traverse, the GMC Terrain, and the recently unveiled Buick Enclave in 2017. Following on the Cadillac XT5, Buick Envision, and the GMC Acadia in 2016. Shifting to inventory, as I said during the January DB conference and in our recent Office Hours webcast, we expect to build inventory in the first half of the year, which will then decline in the second half, very much driven by product launch cadence and scheduled K2XX downtime. And through the first trimester of the year, we are very much on plan. Admittedly, passenger car inventory remains heavy, and we have been working to bring that down to more appropriate levels by cutting production and we remain committed to match supply and demand. We expect to end 2017 with inventory in line with 2016 at about 70 days supply with significantly reduced passenger car levels. Our expectation is that the industry SAR will remain in the mid-17 million unit range, and we are on plan for a third straight year of 10-plus percent EBIT margins in North America. Shifting to Europe, revenue was $4.5 billion, down 200 million year over year primarily due to foreign exchange rates. EBIT adjusted was a loss of 200 million, driven primarily by foreign exchange due to Brexit. This compares to break even for the first quarter of 2016. As Mary mentioned, we see significant opportunity from the exit of GM Europe 
which will immediately improve our overall EBIT-adjusted and EBIT-adjusted margins. In addition, we have been spending approximately a billion dollars a year in CapEx in Europe. We would expect this to be fully recaptured and create about $1 billion annual improvement in adjusted automotive free cash flow, all else equal. Once we satisfy various legal and regulatory conditions to close, we will report our Opel Vauxhall business and GMF European operations as discontinued operations, potentially starting as early as the second quarter. Moving on to China. China had another strong quarter with equity income of $500 million, about equal to a year ago. Wholesale volume in the first quarter was essentially flat versus the first quarter of 2016. We continue to see pricing pressure which was offset by improved mix with stronger Cadillac volumes and Baojun launch vehicles, as well as continued cost efficiencies. The industry was down roughly 3% in the quarter due to the partial expiration of the government's purchase tax incentive. However, there is strength in luxury, SUV, and crossover segments where we are well positioned. Despite the slow start, we still expect low single-digit industry growth in 2017 in total. Given continued growth expectations, our strong launch cadence, continued mix improvement, and cost efficiencies, we expect another year of strong equity income in China. Turning to South America, revenue for the quarter was $2 billion, an increase of about $600 million year over year. Our EBIT-adjusted loss was $100 million, essentially flat versus a year ago. The macro environment in Brazil was not as strong to start 2017 as we had expected, as the industry was down 2% in the first quarter. In spite of that, GM volume in Brazil was up 8%, resulting in a market share increase of 1.5 percentage points. We started to see some positive signs for the industry in Brazil in March, and we still expect year-over-year profit improvement overall in South America. A few words on GM financial, the corporate sector, and free cash flow. GM Financial generated a quarterly record revenue of $2.9 billion, up from $2.1 billion in 2016, resulting in record earnings before taxes of $300 million, up about 16% year-over-year, despite the pressure we've seen in used car values. We estimate the 7% decline seen in recent months will continue through the rest of 2017. Obviously, used car pricing impacts us in many ways, including pressuring our residual values, increasing the cost of leases for our customers, and reducing off-rental auction pricing. This is why we have put such an emphasis on strengthening our brands and reducing our reliance on rental car sales. And while declining used car pricing puts pressure on GMF, we still expect GMF and our other adjacent businesses to be tailwinds for the full year versus 2016. Corporate costs were $300 million up $100 million year-over-year year as expected. As we previously indicated, corporate costs will remain higher throughout the year as autonomous and mobility investments are included in this segment. Adjusted automotive free cash flow was a seasonally expected burn of $600 million for the first quarter. This is an improvement of $800 million compared to the first quarter of 2016. The improvement was driven primarily by improved automotive EBIT-adjusted. With regard to our total company outlook for the full year, Q1 was strong. In fact, it was our strongest Q1 in history and very consistent with our expectations entering the year. This strong start puts us very much on plan for full year profit and margin equal to or better than 2016. 
We're also on track to generate approximately $6 billion of adjusted automotive free cash flow for the full year. While we were restricted from repurchasing shares in the first quarter due primarily to the pending GME transaction, we expect to execute up to $5 billion of share repurchases pending the close of the GME sale and resulting reduction of $2 billion of cash on our balance sheet. These repurchases are expected to be weighted to the second half of the year. Our first quarter was a strong start to the year we expected and puts us on track to achieve our EPS-adjusted guidance of 6 to 650 for the full year. That concludes our opening comments. We'll now move to the question and answer portion of the call. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw a question, press the pound key. Our first question is going to come from the line of Rod Latch with Deutsche Bank. Good morning, everybody. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Um, a couple questions. Um, one, uh, just first focused on North America. The, the pricing is uh, is very impressive, especially relative to the market. And, and I guess I'm wondering of what your view is on um, at what point the uh, 11 to $1,200 per vehicle decline in auction values actually starts to become a, a headwind for affordability and, and mix and, and start to um, – affect new vehicle pricing for you. And then also on North America, that uh, fixed cost savings number of $300 million in the quarter, can you give us some idea of of what the net opportunity for uh, fixed cost reduction might be this year and next? Yeah, clearly um, in the first quarter, speaking about the pricing, that was largely related to truck pricing um, uh, and and carryover trucks. And that was a number of pricing actions that we took last year. So I wouldn't expect you know, to see that kind of run right through the rest of the year on, on carryover pricing, Rod. With that said, though, we do expect, as we've talked about before, uh, overall pricing to be favorable for the year as we launch our new crossovers, and that's going to, you know, drive, obviously, a net tailwind um, through the balance of the year. Um, relative to, you know, impact of used car pricing on affordability and everything else, obviously that's one driver of affordability. Um, continued availability of low-cost interest is another driver. Continued, you know, low low gas prices is, is another. Clearly, that's something on our radar and something that we're very focused on, and that's why we're intensely focused on driving cost efficiency because the market's just going to become more competitive uh, as we go forward. Again, with that said, um, we're very constructive and optimistic and confident around our 10% margin objective for the year. Um, on the cost front, if you look at North America in the quarter, uh, we had 700 million year-over-year improvement in cost. You know, 200 million of that was um, absence of, of restructuring charges. You may recall we took the FAP, uh, the, the attrition program, um, last year in Q1 as part of the 2015 UAW negotiation. So, kind of recurring was a half a billion uh, of savings in the first quarter, and that 300 million was really absence of launch costs um, because we were relatively light. I would expect that to you know, amp up as we go through the rest of the year, both from a manufacturing and a marketing perspective, we've got a heavy launch cadence. With that said, and looking at total cost, you know, from a fixed cost perspective, material cost, performance, warranty, you know, our our overall cost, we expect cost performance to be a favorable tailwind year over year, um, something north of a billion dollars. And and again, as we've talked about um, repeatedly, we are very, very focused on driving cost efficiencies, and it's starting to show up 
in our results uh, from a North American perspective. Great, thank you. And just um, one last one: you're um, you're achieving this performance in North America despite some pretty significant drags, obviously still from passenger car, and it's very apparent when when you see the contribution margins in the K. Um, just could you give us a, a sense of the range of options that you're contemplating for that business, and is there a, a very sizable opportunity still left in, in improving the performance in North America through uh, reconfiguring that or, or coming up with some creative solutions for that business? Will you say that business, Rod, are you referring to passenger cars? I, I wasn't sure Correct. on the question. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously more than 100% of, of your earnings in North America is coming from uh, the trucks. So there's obviously a significant drag here, and some, you know, there's a, there's a lot of options for that business, um, be short-term and, and long-term, but how are you thinking about the range of uh, alternatives? Yeah, well, first I would say if you look at the, the, the cars, the crews, the Malibu um, specifically that we just launched last year, uh, they are on very efficient architectures, architectures that we'll use for multiple genera generations, uh, not only from a, uh, you know, a lightweighting uh, efficiency from a performance perspective, but also efficiency from a cost perspective. So that's one uh, opportunity that we're already, um, you know, putting in place, or we've already put in place. Uh, the brand building that we're doing is very important, uh, also looking at, um, uh, the material cost performance that we continue to drive, and then really looking at uh, configuring the vehicle and making sure we have the right vehicle offering uh, to uh, to best satisfy and create the value for the customer. There's also opportunities uh, with uh, OnStar and the, the performance and what we can drive into the vehicle vehicle there. So there's several things that we're looking at um, and that we continue to work on as, as we continue to improve the profitability of cars. So we're very focused on doing that and are making good progress. Yeah, if I, if I could just add a, a couple points to what Mary said, Rod. Number one, we certainly, as Mary said, um, see opportunities to drive improvement and profitability in cars, and it's like a key focus area for us um, here in North America. But, you know, the cars that we just recently launched are more profitable than the vehicles that they replace, and we continue to make progress from that perspective. Um, secondly, and I, and I think, you know, speaking more broadly about passenger cars globally and not just North America, our execution of our global emerging market um, program which will fundamentally replace uh, emerging market um, architectures, 11 or 12 separate architectures with one, um, engineered and co-sourced in China with 2 million units of scale is gonna drive huge benefit in passenger car profitability at a company level. And, and just to give you a data point, 90% of South America's volume will come off the GEM architecture once it's rolled out, which is huge opportunity from that perspective. So. You know, very, very focused, big opportunity for us. We continue to make progress in North America, more to do, and I think the global emerging market uh, program that we'll be starting to launch in 2019 is going to be another significant enabler to improve our quality of earnings. Great. Thank you. And our next question is going to come from the line of Etai McKelly with City. Great. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So just first, maybe for, for Chuck on the, uh, the 2017 outlook, when we think about the, the strong results and, and some of the industry headwinds you mentioned, is there any kind of early bias around kind of high end, low end of the range 
on and also kind of how we think about the cadence of earnings in the remaining three quarters of the year. Yeah, let, let me answer the cadence part first because this is consistent with, you know, what we've talked about, again, going back to January and then in the office hours. Um, we would expect earnings, unlike typical years, you guys know, Q1 is relatively weak, Q4 is relatively weak, Q2 and Q3 relatively stronger. Um, we would expect this year kind of a more evenly cadenced um, level of earnings generally. Q1 obviously stronger uh, than, than typical, and Q3 is going to be weaker than normal, and that's because of the significant downtime that we're having related to launch products. We've got somewhere in the, in the zip code of 13 weeks of downtime in Q3. A little more than half of that's related to, to full-size pickups and SUVs, getting ready for the next generation launch. There's some crossover downtime as well as Bowling Green for uh, Corvette. So I think, you know, from a cadence perspective, and North America will drive this largely, Q3 will be relatively weak compared to, to past years um, from, a, from an overall cadence perspective. What was the first part of your question? Just in terms of any bias uh, around low end, high end of the range. Yeah, I, I think we're – we're very confident in the guidance that we provided of six to six fifty um, for the year, and Mary just indicated in her her remarks that um, you know we expect revenue to be up and EBIT and EBIT adjusted to be greater than or equal to um, 2016. So we fundamentally haven't changed our view. Uh, and again, the comment that I made, we expected a strong Q1. We delivered a strong Q1, and that's consistent with the guidance that we provided earlier in the year. That, that's very helpful. Um, and then so secondly, uh, maybe a kind of long-term strategic question. You know, in, in the past, you've talked about targeting uh, you know, a first to scale with autonomous rideshare services. You've also recently talked about profitable electric vehicles. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about that in terms of what, what the timing is for, for the two goals and how you benchmark uh, GM relative to some of your peers and competitors out there. Uh, well, first to talk about autonomous vehicle, we continue to make very um, uh, strong progress uh, with the cruise automation. We've given the cruise automation team uh, with the right resources that we've added uh, responsibility to not only develop from a technology perspective and integrate with uh, the core engineering elements of General Motors, but also the commercialization. And so we really are running that as a startup. Uh, we haven't put a specific timing out there, but I think, you know, what we've said several times, it will be sooner, I think, than most people think, and we're aggressively working on that, and you'll hear more from us uh, um, as the year evolves on that. So um, I'm very pleased with the progress we're making. And also, I'm, you know, I think one of the key things, there's a, a lot that is said right now about autonomous vehicle development, but when we are doing our development in downtown San Francisco, also in Scottsdale, also now in Detroit, we are in, um, you know, San Francisco, downtown San Francisco is one of the most complex environments, uh, and the progress that we're making of uh, with zero incidents as we take many routes around that city, I think, is gives me uh, confidence that we are on a very good path. Uh, as it relates to electrification, you know, when I look at all the assets that we bring to electrification, and this is why Mark has, has challenged the team, uh, that we get, that we are the first uh, OEM that is profitable in electric vehicles, again, uh, from, a, from a technology, from a performance, uh, and from an affordability perspective. And uh, I think 
we have a steady ramp of products that you're going to see over the next couple of years in electrification. But as we continue to evolve our BEV architecture, I think that that will be the step. We are ahead of the curve on our cell costs. Um, you know, we started it, and in, in, this was a couple of years ago, we were at a, uh, $145. We're now uh, below our curve as we get to uh, our goal of being under $100. And so that, prog that is progressing very well. Uh, the experience that we're seeing with the, the Chevrolet Bolt EV uh, and the, the great response we're getting because that is a car that is not only um, an electric vehicle, but it's fun to drive and it's really a technology platform. So when I look what we've already got into the marketplace with our leadership position in, in the actual cell technology uh, and the, the scale that we can um, leverage across the globe, specifically China, which will be uh, the first and, we believe, largest uh, electric vehicle market, I think that well positions us. So I'm not going to give you specific timing on either, but on autonomous sooner than you think and on electrification, that will uh, really, as we continue to evolve the BEV, ar BEV architecture. That's uh, very helpful, Mary. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Our next question is going to come from the line of Ryan Brinkman with J.P. Morgan. Great, thanks. Uh, congrats on the strong quarter, by the way. But just a couple questions on international operations. Uh, uh, first, on China, you know, you showed an, in an interesting chart at the at the Detroit show uh, that illustrated your average wholesale price has been steadily rising there in recent years, despite the you know, the increase in discounting. Mary mentioned in her remarks, Cadillac is up 90% in 1Q. So, can you maybe give us an update, you know, in terms of how your your average prices are trending, um, how you expect them to trend in 2017. You know, what's going on, especially in the period after the purchase tax there stepped up from 5 to 7.5% in terms of discounts, pure pricing in light of those discounts, and then you know, your, your actual average prices, which also take into account mix. I think that could be very helpful for um, investors forecasting profits the remainder of the year in China. Yeah, a number of questions buried in there, Ryan, so I'll try to try to address them. Um, all as we did show in Detroit, uh, as mix continues to improve, and it's driven in in both channels, both through SGMW and SGM. SGMW because they launched the Baojun brand with a number of crossovers, which obviously generate better price than you know the very small commercial vehicles. And on the SGM side, with the growth of Cadillac and the launch of crossovers, we saw that increase in average revenue per unit, and we'll continue to see that on a go forward basis. I mean, if you look at at Q1 results. Um, we had equity income that was fundamentally flat year over year. Our net income margins, you know, down slightly from 9.7 to 9.3%. And what we're seeing play out is very significant improvements in mix that's fundamentally offsetting carryover price headwinds and improvement in carryover material costs that's fundamentally offsetting fixed cost increases as we've, you know, started to run more of our plants on a full, full line and full, fully utilized basis over there. And I would expect, as I think about the rest of the year, for that trend to continue, um, as as it has over the last last couple of years, because the Cadillac brand will continue to get new portfolio entries. Luxury is running strong. We've got a number of crossovers uh, that we'll be launching over the next um, period of years, this year and next year, at both SGM and SGMW. So that's a trend we would expect to, to continue to, to play out. Relative to the industry, um, obviously, there was a, a pull ahead into last year, as, as customers expected a pullback on, on the purchase tax uh, payback in the first quarter. You know, the industry was down 3%. 
uh, we would expect to see the industry grow, as I mentioned, in low single-digit margins, and, and some of that could be back-end loaded because I think there will be another reaction as customers expect a full pullback on, on the purchase tax by the end of this year, but that, that's kind of our expectation. As we entered the year, we anticipated that carryover pricing was going to be negative 45 to 5%. I'd say through the first trimester, it's been a little bit north of 5% uh, at SGM, and However, again, the results speak for themselves. We've been able to offset that with improved mix and, and cost performance at SGM and SGMW. Great. Very helpful. And then just lastly from me, I'd like to probe a little bit on the consolidated side of I.O. You know, it looks like the losses there grew year over year to $184 million despite your having, you know, taken some aggressive actions, try to right-size the operations, more selectively compete. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, the, the actions that you have announced to date and the degree to which those, you know, the associated savings are or are not already reflected in the results that we see? So, for example, like Australia manufacturing, I think that still hasn't wound down, so maybe some more tail and the actions that you've announced in Thailand and Indonesia, are those savings reflected in, 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 the, in the 1Q numbers? And, and then, you know, just beyond, you know, what you've already announced, even if some of the savings still are to come, is it fair to say that the remaining savings w would not be quite enough to get you to profitability there? And, and if that's so, then what additional levers remain to be pulled, like in uh, India or Korea? Yeah, so let, let me talk to the Q1 results for, for a second. Um, clearly, you know, we're, we're running against a um, challenging environment, specifically in the Middle East. The biggest driver of the year-over-year -year deterioration in GMI, more than, more than accounting for the year-over-year -year deterioration, is a contraction of the Middle East industry given low oil prices. And, you know, we sell reasonably profitable vehicles there. So that, that's the big driver. Um, you were right, the... Um, impact of Australia, we won't start to see that until we exit 2017 and get into 2018 um, when we fully wind down manufacturing. That will be kind of we'll cease production in October time frame there, so that, that's something we'll see run rated in, in 2018. Um, you know, the, the Thailand um, downsizing of passenger car profitability in Indonesia's, you know, ceasing manufacturing, clearly those savings are, are included, but you know, in the in the big scheme of things, not necessarily a, a big driver. I mean, it's tens of and twenties of millions of dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I, I would suggest when you look at the rest of the region, um, the best thing I can say is stay tuned. Um, we continue to evaluate our operations there, and, and I think the lens to look at that is if we can't find a path to a sustained long-term return um, in, in markets, um, we will take decisive action and that's something that you know we continue to evaluate, and again, I would I would suggest stay tuned. Okay, that color was helpful. Uh, congrats again in the quarter. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Our next question is going to come from the line of David Tamburino with Goldman Sachs. Oh, great! Thanks for uh, taking our questions this morning. Uh, Chuck, I just want to understand uh, the first one for me in North America. As we think about the you know, movement into 2Q and 3Q for your inventory levels and into 4Q. Are we at the right levels at the end of, you know, March, the last data point that we saw? Should we see levels come up even further heading into the end of the second quarter? Should they be coming down? And I ask this because I think overall at the end of March it was about 98 days, 108 for pickups, 89 for SUVs, and 101 for passenger cars. Should we see passenger cars start to come down throughout the second quarter, SUVs drift up, and maybe pickup trucks coming down? 
The way I would think about it generally is our expectation. Again, you know, this is a bit of a of a, of a forecast because it depends on the, the strength of the industry and everything else as we go through Q2. But our expectation is that an overall level will be at roughly 90 days supply at the end of Q2, roughly. Um, passenger cars will be down significantly. Uh, we'll still be at somewhat elevated levels on trucks and crossovers because of the downtime that I talked about before in Q3. And what we're driving to um, as we get to the end of Q4, as, as we've discussed before, is overall inventory on a day supply basis generally in line with, with 2016, roughly 70 days. And our kind of objective is cars at about 50 days when we exit the year. And obviously, trucks will be a little bit more than 70, and crossovers will be kind of in that zip code because we typically carry more than 70 days of trucks. Understood. Thank you. And then just following up on that the China pricing discussion, I mean, it sounds like it was a little bit worse than you would expect in the first quarter. Obviously, did a very good job of outperforming that on a cost side. But as we progress through April, are we seeing a, a sequential acceleration uh, in that negative pricing environment, given at least I think the industry inventory levels are a little bit elevated year over year? Or have you seen, you know, kind of a steady state in that 5-plus percent range but not accelerating into the, you know, negative 6, negative 7 percent? You know, pricing. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been relatively steady through April so far. I, you know, I'm not surprised as the industry contracted and, you know, it's a very competitive environment and people were, you know, um, competitors were being very aggressive from a pricing perspective. It's, it's kind of just steady as she goes in April. Our expectation, though, as we work our way through the rest of the year is this should moderate a bit, but, you know, that's not our baseline planning assumption. We're planning around and driving the business around something in the mid-5% range from a year-over-year carryover pricing, but it should moderate as we start to see growth uh, again because, the, you know, just naturally um, it might take some pressure off the supply and inventory dynamic that we saw in the first quarter. Understood. And just last one from our end is I think about you're a couple of months into now that the Chevy Bolt launch, you've been manufacturing this vehicle. You know, when you compare that to maybe some of the other passenger car launches, you know, how much of, uh, how much easier is it really to manufacture that vehicle, electric vehicle versus your internal combustion engine portfolio? Well, I mean, from a component component tree perspective, there there are, to your point, it is a bit simpler to put together, and it's in one of our very efficient plants, uh, the Lake Orion plant uh, in Michigan. Uh, and you know, when we look at the launch, it's it's on track. We're currently selling in eight states: California, Oregon, Virginia, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, and Washington. Um, we'll have some remaining northeastern states that will launch in May, and then later in the year, available um, across the United States. So, you know, we're right on plan uh, with with where we expect the Bolt to be, and also important that it will have uh, some global launches as well. So, uh, again, it's in, in one of our most efficient plants. It's um, it's it's been engineered to be, uh, you know, very uh, efficient to build. So, we're right on track, and we're pleased with the progress on the on the vehicle. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very uh, thank you both very much for the time. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, David. Our next question is going to come from the line of John Murphy with Bank of America. Morning, guys. Um, Morning. I just want to follow up on, on, sort of on, the, on the cost question. I mean, I think there's some people out there that still fear that you guys are sitting in the sort of the hypothetical, you know, downturn war room and you press the big red button that says, you know, pricing and incentives on it. 
But I just wonder if you could sort of remind us and, and sort of talk about the other levers that you would pull along before you would ever push that, that button to really address sort of what might be some decremental margins and, and what kind of cost cutting you would do, at least temporarily, uh, to offset the volume downturn. So assuming there's a volume downturn, right? Because this is still I said hypothetical, yes. Hypothetical. So clearly, um, and, you know, first, again, I, I like to start these things at, at 10,000 feet and work my, my way down. We are, we are very cognizant of that we operate in a cyclical industry and we're eight years in expansion. And, you know, it's not like we're sitting and waiting for a downturn to be prepared. I mean, day to day, we are very focused on acting like we're in a downturn from a cost performance perspective and really taking a hard look at cost. With that said, if there was, you know, an event-driven downturn, um, immediate opportunities to reduce costs, you know, obviously marketing. Um, marketing costs are a significant um, – I view it as significantly variable, right, depending on where the industry's at. And you could scratch out of that pretty easily something north of a billion dollars. Um, as we've talked about before, our manufacturing cost is much more variable now, and I think perhaps people still have the mental model of, of pre-bankruptcy where, you know, as you took volume out, the, the manufacturing cost was very sticky. That That's not the case now. We've got roughly 30% of our workforce that is – short term um, that would not carry a, a uh, unemployment benefit. And um, as we go through the next couple of years, that's going to increase to 50%. Um, clearly, as we see a downturn, there's a component, and, you know, I hate to even bring it up, but incentive comp and profit sharing, that's, that's you know, a, a significant opportunity for reduced cost. You know, it doesn't make any of us happy, but that's a fact. And you know, we are we are continuing to look at opportunities through operational excellence, um, global business services to drive savings in GBS. And, and one point related to this, we've talked about the um, sale of Opal Voxel to PSA. We are engaged right now in an enterprise initiative to look at how this simplification of the business will allow us to take significant structure out of the business, whether it's corporate staffs, whether it's engineering, because the portfolio is going to be more simplified, you know, really across the business. And we think that's going to generate significant cost savings. I would say, again, stay tuned as we work through that. Um, we will communicate it, and likely, you know, it'll have an upward impact on our $6.5 billion target. Absolutely. That, that, that's very helpful. Um, then just a, a second question. Um, obviously, there's a lot of pressure uh, on, on leasing right now, or there's a lot of push on, on leasing to sell vehicles. And one of the big challenges I think that dealers are having is a lease payment is a lot cheaper than a six-year you know, lo loan payment. So the consumer is gravitating to that, um, not recognizing sort of the back-end costs. I'm just curious, as, as you look at you know, leasing, what kind of other instruments are you passing along to your dealers through uh, GMF? to help deal with this? Because it, I think the dealers are kind of struggling with this. I mean, it seems like, you know, it sounds like the automakers are pushing it, but the consumer is pulling it in a, in a huge way, and it's, um, you know, it's creating this sort of, you know, this lease bubble. I'm just curious what you're doing with GM Financial and your dealers to help, um, you know, get cars sold via loan as opposed to lease. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a number of different drivers. I, I, obviously, and I, I agree with you, give, with low interest rates, kind of the subvented financing is not as effective as it would be with normalized interest rates, and that's what's kind of driven a few folks over 
over to, to leasing to, to chase that monthly payment. Um, we work very, very closely and collaboratively with GMF to try to optimize across our overall incentive spend and mitigate um, the growth of, of leasing and mitigate our exposure there. And one thing, a specific tactic is down payment assistance on APR, where instead of allocating the money to leases, um, we allocate the money to provide down payment assistance. That's had a significant impact in a relatively short term in driving more standard APR business to, to GMF. So it's those kinds of tactics that we deploy. Um, and we look across, you know, all of all of the tactics, whether it's leasing, whether it's our subvented financing, cash offers, um, down payment assistance, loyalty offers. I mean, there's a number of tools in the toolbox, and it's really to optimize kind of the overall mix of sales loan spending and not create imbalances um, as we go to market. Okay, and then just one last question. I mean, th there's some companies out there that are, you know, pure electric, you know, car manufacturers that are basically raising no-cost capital right now, um, which is, you know, difficult to compete against. Um, you know, I mean, not so difficult for you right now because, you know, volumes are incredibly low at those companies. Um, but w when you think about potentially separating pieces of the company, Mary, is, is there a potential to do that, not just to necessarily unlock value for shareholders, but to get access to what this is, this sort of seemingly uh, voracious demand for, this growth in, in the new car future that's being given no-cost capital so that you could get some access to that cheap capital as well? You know, we we constantly evaluate that, and, you know, I think the, the steps that we took at the beginning of the year with what you see we're doing in autonomous um, are, are uh, leading in that direction. So, you know, we're looking to create the right business model, demonstrate, you know, we're in a little different position uh, with how we come at this and and you know, just because of the core business and, and some of the uh, just a, a different perspective that people have on this company. But that's why we are being so aggressive and autonomous, so aggressive in electrification, and frankly, aggressive with leveraging our 20-year lead with OnStar and having connectivity in the car and unlocking the data um, uh, monetization uh, opportunities as well as uh, just yet leveraging the data to provide a distinct and better value to the customer so they buy our vehicles. So, you know, we continue to evaluate that. We want to put a little, a few more, I'll say, proof points on the board uh, and demonstrate that we are, I believe, best positioned, especially in electrification when you look at our track record, our scale, the leverage that we have across the globe. So, we're going to continue to push on that, and as we evaluate, we'll look at you know, the right time to make sure that we're doing the right thing for our shareholders, uh, of which is, is having the right um, availability of capital. Okay. Thank you very much. Our next question is going to come from the line of Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. Hey, everybody. Hi, Mary. Um, it's incredible. It's been uh, already three years since, or more than three years since you um, uh, got uh, the, the CEO role, um, and I think you've done, you've probably done more in three years than a lot of other CEOs have done in 30. That's been a real whirlwind. And um, so please accept this question in the, in the way it's intended. Uh, but there's been, I just want to know if you um, care to comment on some of the press speculation that as President Trump uh, looks to bring in some expertise, including expertise from industry, uh, to help, you know, him with strategy and infrastructure and transportation that you know, your names come up uh, as, uh, very high, if not at the top of the list. Just any care to comment on that? Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, that your services aren't incredibly valuable in your current seat, but just it is a relevant topic for transition. 
Well, Adam, thanks, thanks for your comments. And um, I am 150% committed to General Motors. Um, it is, in my 37-year career, this is an incredibly exciting time because not only do I believe we are putting the best vehicles on the road that we have in my, in my career here, uh, but when I look at the opportunities that we have with autonomous, with electrification, with connectivity, um, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And so I'm 150% dedicated to this company and continuing to demonstrate that General Motors can uh, be the industry leader in transforming uh, transportation and also uh, being uh, very responsive to, to the environment. And I think we're well positioned to do that. So that's where my focus is and will be going forward. Thank you, Mary. That's very clear. Um, just my follow-up question, second question. China, I, I believe you're still number one in that, mar in that market in terms of uh, broadest definition of light vehicle sales in China. Now, in a market where U.S. tech firms like Google and Facebook are not legal in China due to data privacy issues, um, thinking in your business, as your cars become uh, – pretty quickly, data capturing, HD mapping machines, collecting passenger information and making life and death AI decisions. Do you see any risk, Mary, however long term, to your ability to continue to position, you know, to, to maintain that position in a Chinese future mobility model with the obvious data privacy issues which that regime might naturally feel sensitive about from an economic or national security perspective? Thanks. So, so you bring up a very good point, one that we're very uh, cognizant of, and we um, and so we look at what the landscape is. You know, we do have OnStar deployed quite successfully uh, in China right now, but we also think there's opportunities um, that we're exploring of how we work in that whole ecosystem because it is a very different ecosystem. Not only uh, because of some of the issues that you've raised in the different companies that that really are uh, leading in, in that market, but also because of where the country is and how they're um, adopting technology and in some cases skipping whole generations of the way developed markets use the technology and going right to an end game solution. So uh, when I was there just last week, we spent quite a bit of time on that topic and how we and, and developing the plan of how we're going to pursue that. Um, very specific to the Chinese market, that environment, and, and the potential people we might work with there um, as we continue to evolve the OnStar platform in that country. And, Mary, you currently have access, full access, to all consumer data in, from OnStar in China? Uh, through uh, our SGM, yes. SGM has that. Now, okay. you know, the way we view data, Adam, is that the customer owns it, and so as someone signs up, uh, you know, for the service, they give us permission um, to how we're going to use that data. So, again, complying with all the laws and regulations in each of the countries, that's the way we use it. But through our joint venture, SGM, we do have access to that data as we've set it up with permission from the customer. Thank you, Mary. Take care. Thank you. Our next question is going to come from the line of Colin Langan with UBS. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just want to follow up on uh, – one of the initial questions was on the mix and pricing in North America. I guess I'm, a, I guess I'll surprise the directionality of both. I mean, uh, the quarter sales release indicated ATPs were about flat. So, how is pricing so positive? And then on the flip side, with you know, we know that truck production was quite strong and fleet was cut. Why was mix negative? I mean, I'm not sure if it's a definitional issue. It falls in those buckets. First, transaction prices is 
unadjusted for mix, right? At the end of the day, I mean, it's a a, a compilation of everything. So when we looked at the first quarter of this year versus the first quarter of last year, from a transaction price perspective, we sold a heck of a ton more cruises in the first quarter of this year versus last year. So that is why we can have favorable EBIT pricing or profit pricing on trucks, but transaction prices are relatively flat. And then I think if you look at the North American EBIT bridge, you see the other piece of this equation play out. Uh, mix was unfavorable um, fundamentally because we sold a lot more cruises in the first quarter of the year this year than we did last year as we were launching the product. So that's kind of the, the um, overall answer to that question, Colin. Okay. Um, and can you give any color on commodity mix? What is your expectation for a headwind this year and if there was any impact in the quarter? Yeah, um, we had, as, as we entered the year on my little uh, chart that I showed at Deutsche Bank and Office Hours, there was tailwinds and headwinds, and on one of the headwinds was commodity pricing, and we expected to see a few hundred million dollar headwind year over year, and we built that into our expectation. For 2017, I would say as we sit today, you know, through April, that had <coughs> excuse me, that headwind is greater than we thought by another you know, few hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, two to three hundred million dollars. Obviously, we're taking actions to mitigate that. And in the first quarter, on a year-over-year -year basis, broadly speaking, commodities were about a two hundred million dollar headwind. Got it. And just lastly, uh, in your comments, you mentioned that battery costs are $145 and trending better, uh, costs coming down faster than expected. Uh, is 145 that's just just to sell, right? That's not selling pack. And then at what level do you think you need to get to to make an EV more compelling than the internal combustion engine? Well, you know, right now when we talk about it, we have a sell cost per kilowatt hour that's around 145, and that's for the Bolt EV. And we're working the, the what we showed a couple of years ago, we're working on a path to get that, like I said, around 100 or below 100, and we're uh, ahead of the curve on that. Uh, you know, you have to look at the whole whole vehicle, how it comes together, the scale, the different offerings. Is you know, is it in sharing environments? So when we drive to that profitability, I can't just say we got to get it to X because you've got to really look at. There's many other levers that get us to be profitable in electric vehicles. Um, yeah, we're going to keep working aggressively on cell costs and leveraging our scale, but um, it, to, to drive to the profitability, which is I think where you're asking the question. Getting below 100, we'll we'll get there, and then we'll we'll set another target. Got it. All right. Thank you very much for taking my questions, and congrats on a good quarter. Thank you. And our final question for the day will come from the line of Brian Johnson with Barclays. Uh, yes. Um, Want to follow up on with Chuck and Mary on again, sort of this whole issue of big data. Um, a question for Chuck is: In 2015, you outlined. A incremental 350 million impact by 2018 from 4G LTE. Wondering where you're tracking to that. Is it part of the cost savings we came through this quarter? And then for Mary, you've talked about the car architectures being relatively set, but on the other hand, um, it's pretty clear, at least to some of us, that big transformations needed in the vehicle data architecture, the connectivity, um, and just where are you on that and how do you expect that to evolve? To the first question, um, yeah, back in 2015 we said we expected OnStar uh, to improve profitability. Um, and it was part, let, let me just start with 
most recently we've talked about one of the drivers of, of improved profitability on a go-forward basis around adjacencies. And within that, between the 2015 timeframe and 2019 timeframe, we talked about roughly $2 billion of improvement in profit and adjacencies. Split between three areas, customer care and after sales or service parts, GM Financial, which made up about half of it, and OnStar. So, you know, if I was sizing the opportunity, I'd split the $2 billion, a billion dollars GMF, and a half a billion each roughly between OnStar and, and CCA. Um, you know, we're still driving towards that. We're still executing towards that. I would suggest in the results that we've seen thus far in North America relative to OnStar, it's been relatively limited because we're building out the foundation and building out the capability, and it goes across many dimensions. 4G LTE is part of it, monetizing the data through vehicle management, um, and onboard diagnostics is another piece. The application framework is another piece, but we're still, you know, very, very focused and, and constructive on, you know, driving that profitability because we think it's a huge opportunity. And Mary mentioned, you know, we we haven't even started to scratch the surface yet on data monetization, and that wasn't factored into that outlook. So that's another significant opportunity. And then, Brian, on the, the technical piece of it, um, uh, we last year spent a considerable time. There had already been work being done, but, uh, you know, had my personal attention and Mark Royce uh, on it, as well as Randy Mott from an IT, and we, we put the resources together um, much more uh, in, into one integrated organization to drive, um, you know, how do we quickly, because now if you think about it, the car used to stop at the paint, and now the car doesn't stop there because of so many um, services or apps that you can use outside of the car to get the speed and the quality and the integrity to make sure we do it right from a safety and a cybersecurity perspective, we pulled that whole organization together. They operate under one person uh, that we brought into the company. Uh, so that's the way we're uh, leveraging the engineering. And then we do have a new uh, electrical architecture coming in our vehicles that has been uh, been under development for a couple years and will be launched shortly. Uh, so we have addressed, I'll say, the core electrical architecture, but I think more importantly, bringing the resources and having the view that the car extends outside of the paint to make sure that we have the systems integrated well, uh, and that's the way that we operate today. And so those, that's how we're addressing, I'll say, the tech piece of it um, to support the opportunity that we have to be first and fast uh, in really leveraging this new area. Okay, thanks. Thank you. I'd now like to turn the call over to Mary Barra for her closing comments. Thank you, Operator. I, hey, I've just got a couple comments. Um, you know, I'm really proud of the team and what they've accomplished in this first quarter. This, again, I think demonstrates our resolve that we are going to continue to strengthen the core business, generate the best possible return for our owners, and then continue to ex uh, execute uh, with a, a huge sense of urgency on the transformative te technologies that are really going to allow us to have a leadership position and make people's lives safer, simpler, and better as we move forward. We are a very disciplined company as we approach this. I think you've seen actions from us. You'll continue to see actions that represent this because uh, myself, the leadership team, and every gym employee, we are here to win, and that's what we focus on doing every day when we, we are at work or wherever we are. So thanks again for participating. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.